coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. We used to play the Friends theme song uh, in between when people were shaking hands, but then, you know, you know, some people just were like, how come you're playing the devil's music in the Lord's house? And other people were like, can we just let it play a little longer? So it was kind of this like, this like tension thing. And people were like, why would you even name a series Friends? Well, it was quite simple. The TV show was a bunch of 30-somethings acting like they were 20-somethings who all moved to New York City. They all come from different walks of life, different stations of life, different, different jobs, different family situations. And they all kind of lived in this area together and they became a family, much more than friends. They looked out for one another. They took care of one another. They became this, this really true family. And, and what's uh, interesting about that, and some of you are I hate this comparison, but in many ways, it's what we strive to be is the family of God. It's not just a group of people that come together and, and, and come to church and, and serve our time and go on to other things, but really and truly the opportunity to become family. If, uh, if we're being really honest, the average North American church attender, and if I wasn't up here, I would do the exact same thing. Shows up at church on Sunday, says hi to people. Probably, if you come here, show up five minutes late to try and get a small line at the coffee cart. Grab your coffee, make your way into the auditorium, sing your stuff, songs, get your stuff, and then wait to time your exit at the exact right time that you don't have to talk to that many people so you can just get out the door as quickly as possible, get to your car and move on with your life because it's nice just to come to church and get your stuff and not worry about anyone's baggage. It's just my me time. Jesus said something interesting in John chapter 13. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not your vast, large uh, intellect, not your depth of biblical knowledge, not your spiritual gifting or your natural talent, not your net worth or the amount of hours that you volunteer, but your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. The way you take care of one another, the way we look after one another, when we just shift gears and we get out, last week we talked about getting out of the friend zone. When we get out of the friend zone and we become each other's people, the people of God where we are one another's people, where it goes past just saying hi on a casual Sunday. But that takes effort. That takes work. I would rather it said your spiritual gifting or your Bible knowledge or your natural gifting will prove to the world that you're my disciple. I wish you would say, your clean living or your moral behavior would prove the world, but it doesn't. It says, your love for one another, the way we take care of one another, the way we recognize that we've plastered the term welcome home on the outside of our building when we start causing this place, this room, this building, this, these gatherings, 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock, when that really does feel like home when you know that you're safe and this is your place and it doesn't matter 
where you come from, what the walk of, what, what walk of life you come from. Romans 12, verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. <sighs> I was so good at faking it. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Uh, in other translations, it says, be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. Be committed. Be deeply committed to one another. That we can weather, we understand that we can weather the storms together. We can go through the bumps together. together. We don't have to just cut and run. Even when there's disagreements, we can overcome it. When there's pain, we can overcome it. And when you're going through pain, we can walk through it with you. And then we take delight in honoring one another. If you're using the YouVersion Bible app, I forgot to mention this, if you hit the more button, the, bo- the three dots in the bottom right-hand corner, all the notes for today's message uh, are right there, ready and waiting for you with the scripture references. Uh, you hit more, and then you hit events, and you'll find Engage City Church. Today I want to drop, uh, I want to spend a considerable amount of time in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Uh, whenever you, whenever I'm preparing for a series like this, I'm kind of looking at all the, the, the topics, I'm looking at the scriptures, and I'm trying to decide, and I knew I had to, we had to come here, we were spending some time uh, a little earlier in Acts last week, and I knew we had to come here, and I thought there's no better way to end our series than this discussion about Paul and Barnabas. What we have to understand about Paul and Barnabas is that this is an incredible relationship, Barnabas is an amazing guy. Um, does anyone have a nickname? Anyone have a nickname in the house that somebody calls you that? Like we got Sebastian's like Sebby. 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 Craig, what's your nickname? Bart's because your last name is Barton. I mean, we, we all pick up different nicknames. You know, Barnabas, actually, Scripture tells us that Barnabas also had a nickname in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 36. Uh, they called uh, Barnabas the son of encouragement. Or Mr. Encouragement, I like to call him. Because uh, you just got around this guy and he just loved to like encourage you and pump you up. Like He's the guy that everyone wants to talk to because you get around him and he just makes you feel so good. He tells you that you're a superstar, that you can do it, that you're going to make it, champ. And he's there, he's, like, he's just there. And the darkest hour he comes by, he's like, you feeling okay, buddy? You know, he's kind of just like, I don't know, maybe he's like that... Uh, Maybe like Denzel Washington, like, remember the Titans. He's just that guy. He's just like this coach who's going to, like, help you make it through. And everyone calls him Mr. Encouragement. It's who he was. Paul, on the other hand, is a sharp contrast. Before he was called Paul, he was named Saul. And he's next to a genius. Rose to the top at every level of education. Trained by some of the greatest rabbis of his time. Rabbi of his time. And his passion and desire moved over from, like, passion into becoming a zealot and into kind of becoming a terrorist, essentially. Because as a Jew, he decided that anyone who was a Christian and was a heretic, and so the best way he knew to take care of that was just to arrange some stonings of people. And so this is what would happen. This is why he's a genius. Brendan, why don't you come up? He would just decide that... Brendan here is a Christian, and uh, you're all Jews, and so the best possible thing that we could do to this man, uh, knowing that he's a heretic, is to just kill him by throwing rocks. Oh, <laughs> Seb really ramped it up here. And so if you could all just pick up your rock, and at the same, once I'm out of the way, uh, we'll just start 
throwing rocks and we're going to throw them until he dies. And just because I don't want you to get any like backsplash on your, your jackets and stuff, I'm going to be over here holding the jackets. And uh, you just give me your jacket and you throw them, okay, everybody? One, two, three, throw! And you would throw it and you would kill Brendan with rocks and Saul would be over there uh, laughing evilly and hysterically. Uh, not really, but holding the coat. Just stand. And thank you, Brendan. Give him a big round of applause. Thanks for dying for us today. <laughs> and uh, he would just like coordinate all these efforts. And so he has this incredible encounter in Acts chapter 9 where the Lord shows up uh, to him. Bright lights, loud voices. He falls. He becomes blind for three days. And he's got this incredible encounter. But here's the thing. When you, once you become a person who kills a lot of people and kills a lot of Christians, not a lot of Christians want to hang out with you. Because it's like, can we trust this guy? Is he going to, like, kill us? Is he stabbing us in the back? Nobody wants to hang out with poor Saul turned Paul except for Mr. Encouragement himself, Barnabas. I like to think of Barnabas as the original Chip and Joanna Gaines. You know, from, uh, what, what's that show called again? HGTV, Fixer Upper. You know, they, he's like a reclamation specialist. Like, he takes the worst cases and he turns their lives around just by loving on them, encouraging them. And, and this relationship that started between Paul and Barnabas really grew between more than just peers. It's like a father-son type relationship. Barnabas, for all intents and purposes, was Paul's spiritual father. If you track through their ministry journey... You'll find that at the beginning it was named that Barnabas and Paul were going somewhere. Barnabas and Paul were sent out to this church. They lay their hands on Barnabas and Paul. But as the journey progresses, it's all of a sudden Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, where the apprentice overtakes the master, the son, steps into his father's spot. So we pick it up in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So the backstory is that they were taking, going to take John Mark on a different trip earlier, and to put it into the 21st century, they bought their airplane tickets, they checked in uh, at, online 24 hours in advance, they brought their baggage, they dropped off their baggage, they're standing just about to go through security, and they've got their whole missions team, and everyone went to the pre-planning meetings. Everyone, like, got ready. Everyone got prepared. John Mark had his roles. He's got his job. And he gets to the security line. He goes, guys, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't get on this airplane. I'm out. I'm out. And Barnabas is like, listen, it's okay. You're going to do great. He's encouraging. Paul's like, get your act together, son. He's a little more militant. And John Mark just, I can't. I got I to gotta go. And he walks, leaves them. So you can understand on this next mission that Paul's like, you want to take the guy who deserted us at the gates? I don't think so, champ. So Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. 
Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So we've got this strong disagreement between this, these father and son type figures. And sometimes I think when we read this at first glance, we're left in a little bit of heartbreak because we're like, if these two like biblical heroes could not like come to some kind of agreement, what hope is there for us? I mean, this is Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, and clearly he must be right because he wrote all of this New Testament. Barnabas is clearly a, a loser, and, and Paul is the winner, and, and he made the right choice. But if these guys can't make relationship work, how can we make relationship work? How can we become the family of God if they can't even stay together at the height of God moving? But I wonder if we've been looking at it the wrong way. See, on this side, we got Paul, and he's looking at John Mark's track record, and he's like, this ain't going to happen. This is not a good idea. This is going to fail. I need someone who's experienced, and he's not even a Roman citizen. Like, we can't bring this guy. He's going to slow us down. Barnabas is on the other side, and what I haven't told you yet is John Mark is his cousin. <laughs> so there's some, like, family dynamics there. He's like, listen... Family stuff, kind of got to bring them. But I see the potential. Paul, don't you remember? You were the person nobody wanted to touch with the 10-foot pole, and now we've got this guy over here. So Paul's on that side, and he's got a reason to be upset. Barnabas is on this side, and he's got a reason to be upset. So how do we decide what the terms of this engagement are going to be? Because there's got to be a winner, right? Somebody's got to be right, ultimately. Who's right? Is it Paul, or is it Barnabas? Is it possible? They're both right. So this separation was a strong disagreement. The disagreement was sharp, is what the NLT says. If we take it all the way back to the Hebrew, I cannot, or Hebrew, that's Old Testament, Greek. I can't even pronounce the word that I'm trying to explain to you. But the implication is that when we, when we hear the words strong disagreement or sharp disagreement, it was the type of conversation that incited something, that stimulated something, and that provoked something. Here's an example of the same usage in Hebrews 10.24, fleshed out in the Amplified. Let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we may stir up, stimulate, and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activity. So when we take the same word and we put it into a positive context, it's this idea of let's, let's provoke or encourage, encourage one another to good work. So Paul and Barnabas have this, this inciting, stimulating discussion. They're, they become provoked where they have to start to wrestle with a big dif disagreement. In essence, they had a philosophical disagreement. They, they decided to kind of difference of philosophy on how they're going to do things. And they ultimately decided to agree to disagree. But the question that keeps nagging is who won? Who actually won? Some, there's got to be a winner, right? There has to be. It's just fair. There has to be a winner. 
But think about the relationship that Barnabas and Paul had. Or Barnabas, spiritual father, the father, father that he couldn't have because nobody would come near him. On, on the Jewish side, everyone thought he was a heretic. On this side, everyone thought he was a lunatic. There's Barnabas, the only guy who would come and encourage him and develop him and see the gold and not just see it, but dig for it and pull it out. Someone who loved him deeply, who cared for him deeply, and now here they are at an impasse. Paul wants to go this way. Barnabas wants to bring this guy along. It's not the right thing for the job. It's not the right time. They're at an impasse. They're at a head, and they have to figure out how are they going to move forward. And, and to top it all off, they've got a call of God on their life and direction on where to go. What do we do? You do math. You know, Seb says, I'm not good at it. Except we look at multiplication instead of division. Multiplication instead of division. So in light of the backdrop that we've dropped, looking at Acts chapter 15 and Paul and Barnabas, as we continue on looking at the scripture, we have to understand that what we're talking about is how do we deal with conflict, confrontation, problems within the family of God. Because if it's going to happen to these two heroes, <laughs> it's going to happen with us. So how do we deal with these? How do we process through these things? Because these guys, it looks like they got the great divorce. It looks like they were separated. It looks like this guy's going this way, this guy's going this way, but I'm not sure that that's true. In fact, I would say the balance of Scripture does not back that up. If we think about the very way that they would have had the conversation to Paul, Barnabas was the embodiment of love, of spiritual and natural love as a father. And Paul scribed these words in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And in my paraphrase, endures through every argument. So if we understand that the relationship between Barnabas and Paul was one of deep love, that each of these two heroes of the faith were doing their best to embody the fullness of the character of Jesus. We have to think that the terms of love ascribed in 1 Corinthians 13 might apply to this situation. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not jealous does not demand its own way. So we see two strong leaders, two strong men, heroes. Assessing a situation in love, weighing out the pros and the cons. Now here's what's interesting. Barnabas and John Mark did not have the same status of citizenship that Paul did and that the guy that Paul selected, Silas, did as well. 
Paul and Silas both carried Roman citizenship. John Mark and Barnabas did not carry the same status of citizen. If you fast forward to just one chapter in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas get arrested and get put in prison overnight, it was their citizenship that set them free. I wonder, would the outcome be the same if it was Paul and Barnabas in that prison cell without the liberty granted to them by their citizenship? Is it possible that God used this moment of tension, because tension happens, tension is normal, tension's natural, to do some multiplication instead of division. We assume there has to be a winner and a loser. Isn't it possible in the kingdom of God that we can both come out of this ahead? Colossians 3, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Now these are words written by Paul, talking about what it means to live with the character of of Christ, the character of Jesus. So we're going to have to believe that if these are the words that he's writing and teaching, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ, that he's putting these things to good use. So since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If you have a paper Bible underlined, verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, above all, above all, this is a priority. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together, all together in perfect harmony. Have you ever uh, experienced that thing that happens when you're looking at maybe buying a new car? Maybe you're looking at, let's just say, let's say a Jeep. Who wants to have a Jeep? All right, so you're like, hey, I want to buy a Jeep, and I want one like that's cool and tough and rugged that can, looks like it's going to go off road, but I'm never going to take it there. I want, one of, I want one of those ones. And so when you start thinking about something like that, did you ever notice that Jeeps literally come out of like the ground? Like you see them everywhere. There's like, there's this one over here. There's this one over here. There's this. It's like, why are there so many Jeeps? I thought I was doing something unique. Now, of course you do. You just want the unique one that looks like the one that all the other cool kids are driving. Okay, it's not all that unique. But they just start coming out of the woodworks. It's like, it's everywhere. All I want to see, all I see is Jeeps because I want a Jeep. Is it possible that we're so in tune to the way that we operate on a normal, natural level where it's built on strife and contention that all we see when we look at situations is strife and contention? Is it possible that we're looking at this portion of scripture through a lens programmed by our society that says there's got to be a fight, there's got to be a winner, there's got to be a loser, and, and someone has to come out victorious. When maybe God is saying, listen, I'm going to use these situations to provoke something, to stimulate something, to incite something, to further my kingdom. They got four guys instead of two guys, or three guys. They got to go different places. Here's what happened. Barnabas and John Mark took all the churches that were well-established, freeing up Paul and Silas to take new territory, to take new ground. Barnabas slipped into his 
gifting, which was Mr. Encouragement, to go and encourage all of those churches. And Paul got to shift into apostle evangelist mode and reach new places, start new churches. They both shifted into the right spot for their ministry, and they got to step into their destiny for which they were created through a point of tension. I like to call John Mark the comeback kid. Because Barnabas takes him under his wing. And this has to be a defining moment for John Mark. And I think it speaks to his character. I mean, if you're sitting there with two of your heroes, Paul and Barnabas, about to go on a trip, and they are now fighting about you. Fighting's maybe a strong word. They're having a joyful discussion about your future and whether you have the character to continue. It has to be a bit of a wake-up call. I think this is what happened in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we earnestly beseech you, brethren, admonish, warn, warn, and seriously advise those who are out of line, the loafers, the disorderly, and the unruly. Encourage the timid and faint-hearted, which I think what we would call John Mark. Help and give your support to the weak souls and be very patient with everybody always keeping your temper. Those are the words of Paul. I can't help but think that the reaction that Paul had to John Mark did a little bit of this. Oh, man, I need to get my stuff together. I need to get my stuff in a group here and get on with this thing. Now, if there was a major clash and a major major contention, we have to think it would linger in John Mark. Have you ever, uh, have you ever, maybe it's your friend, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your sibling. Has anyone ever said something to somebody else that you also got offended by? You know, it's like, I'm talking to Brendan and Seb, and I say, Seb, your beard is terrible. And Brendan goes, wait a minute, that beard is beautiful. And he comes to his defense, because they're roommates, and that's what roommates do. They stick up for one another. And Seb and I, we talk it out. I'm like, man, really, I'm just jealous. I just can't hit the level of growth. And I can't fight through the itchiness. We have this conversation, but Brendan doesn't hear that conversation. So Brendan just decides that he's going to continue to be the defender of Seb's beard at all times. So anytime we get in a room, he's like, yeah, and Seb's beard is amazing. And he begins to carry this offense that was already settled over here. And Brendan carries it because we never dealt with it. If Barnabas was carrying and harboring a deep offense towards Paul, don't you think it would come out at some point in John Mark? And yet in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, Paul's calling for John Mark to come to him when he's in prison. He says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with me when you, when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my last or in my ministry. John Mark is the guy who keeps coming. When nobody else starts visiting Paul in jail, you know who's the guy who shows up? John Mark. John Mark shows up. When nobody else is willing to show up, John Mark shows up. You know what that shows me? Paul was right. You know who else was right? Barnabas. Barnabas called the gold, saw the potential. And when John Mark, if he would have been left as he is, he would have never showed up. But when developed, he's the only guy who would. 
in spite of the title of Rob Bell's book, this is the moment where love wins. This is the moment where our love for one another boils over the top and we understand that though there may be some contentions, though there may be some bumps in the roads, though we may be provoked and we may be stimulated, our love for one another, which is a pale reflection of the love that Jesus Christ has for us, will carry us through that storm. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. (laughs) But it's possible. It's not about winners and losers. (laughs) It's about 2 Corinthians 5.14. For Christ's love compels us. He compels us to finish the job, to finish the task, to accomplish the mission. Christ's love compels us to forgive our neighbor, forgive our friend, to overcome our offense. Christ's love compels us and calls us out of our place of hurt and into a place of healing and wholeness. Christ's love compels us. Why don't we stand together? Still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. Never fail me. Promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Last week, 
shared out of Proverbs 11. God refreshes those who refreshes others. You might say that you're an encourager. and You just give and you give and you give and you're wondering when somebody is going to give back. Because it's been a long road of you pouring out and you just feel like you just... close to empty. I believe this morning Jesus wants to refresh you in his presence. Because you're never made to do it on your own or give up yourself in entirety. It's the breath of God blowing on your life and speaking and pouring out through you. Second thing is this. every head bowed and every eye closed nobody's looking around I just want you to make a fist with both hands make a fist one of the ways God can refresh us is through forgiveness we're called to forgive because he has forgiven us at some point we were the person not worth fighting for (laughs) And yet while we were still enemies, Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. It's time for us to let go. It's time for us to let go of that pain and that tension that only comes from holding on to unforgiveness. In your mind right now, I just want you to pull up a list of names, or maybe for you it's faces, of those people that you're still holding on to something against. I believe even as you begin to recall that Jesus himself is going to bring some names and faces to your remembrance. In fact, I believe unforgiveness can actually begin to shape our lives. As we begin to take our past hurts and allow it to shape our future, we stop interacting with people, with friends group, with family members. We stop going to certain social situations because we're afraid of the pain that will happen again. Jesus wants to set you free, and freedom starts at forgiveness. Forgive as we have been forgiven. So in your fists, in your hands, you now hold those names. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. Nobody's watching. My eyes are closed. When I get to three, I just want you to lift your hands and let go. As a symbolic gesture of letting go of whatever it is that is harbored in your heart. It's time to walk forward and not be held back by your past. It's time to walk in the future and the destiny that God has for you, and it starts with forgiveness. Here we go. We're going to let go in one, two, three. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. 
Let it go. You were not made to carry this. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He wants to give rest to your soul. been listening to the Engage Life powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.